0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast.
1: Tonight on Primetime Politics, a historic day in the House as Greg Fergus becomes the new speaker. Colleagues, before we begin, it's my first question period. Please treat me like that new car and don't give it a dent on the first day. (laughs) We have reaction from a former speaker, Jeff Regan. And it's Provincial Election Day in Manitoba. Can the Conservatives hold on against Wab Canoe and the NDP? We hear from parties and observers. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, I'm Andrew Thompson. The House of Commons has a new speaker. Quebec Liberal Greg Fergus prevailing earlier today over six other MPs and promising to bring back the honour of the chamber. We'll have coverage of that vote coming up. But first, to Manitoba, where it is Provincial Election Day. Michael Serapio is on the ground in Winnipeg with more. Michael.
0: Hi, Andrew, and thank you for that. And yes, we are coming to you tonight from the historic Fort Garry Hotel in downtown Winnipeg because we are watching a historic vote. If Heather Stevenson and the PC wins, well, she'll be the first female leader to win a general election in Manitoba. And if Wab Canoe wins, well, he will be the first First Nations provincial premier in Canadian history. So a lot on the line tonight. And if the polls are to be believed, well, the NDP have the advantage going in. But a lot of today will boil down to the ground game that the parties play, something we discuss with Mary Agnes Welsh, a pollster here in Winnipeg. Mary Agnes, thank you for this. My pleasure. So listen, obviously today will come down to a ground game for every party. And I'm wondering historically, does one particular party have a better ground game than the others?
2: a little bit of both. So I think historically the Tories are better at the advance vote. Um, this time I think the NDP might have beat them at the advance vote a little bit, um, and I think both parties are roughly on par on that. Get out the vote. Maybe the NDP are a bit better at it. They're a bit more grassrootsy. I think this time they have more volunteers, um, and I think they've done a bit better job. Not a perfect job. You hear scuttlebutt from the from you know some of the campaigns saying that maybe the the, the local campaigns were a little bit slower to get going uh, on the NDP side, but I think generally they've had a better ground game.
0: Okay, so a better ground game. I'm wondering though, since voter turnout is going to be so important, the weather today is not cooperating. How do you think that will affect the vote?
2: That was my first thought this morning with this crazy October like thunderstorm and the streets are a little bit flooded in, in spots. I think this is the moment where the parties are really grateful to have gotten out that advance vote. particularly. The, particularly the NDP. Um, I think it's starting to clear up. People generally in a tight election where they feel their vote really matters, that's really what drives them to the polls. Also, we're Winnipeggers. Bad weather, not a big deal. Uh, we're used to that, so my hunches will still see kind of above average turnout today. Okay,
0: you say Winnipeggers, and that's interesting because so much of this election will come down to the ridings here in the capital city. So, what ridings will you be watching out for?
2: Yeah, a couple of them. Uh, for me, I think Fort Richmond, which is a fascinating suburban, very diverse riding in the southern part of Winnipeg, that for me is kind of the bellwether test riding. And if that one goes NDP, then a couple of others might fall, Uh, a couple of other traditional Tory ridings might fall NDP. So that's one. I'm also watching Jamogier, kind of a similar riding, quite suburban, a little bit more conservative, uh, a very tight race there. In fact, I ran into a fellow who's part of the Tory um, EDA uh, association just the other day downtown, and he was talking about how how tight he feels it is. So both parties really feel Lajon is tight. Okay, tight.
0: And that's as well an interesting point because, of course, the latest numbers have been pointing to an NDP victory. Do the NDP have a lock? Is this a change
2: election? You know, I didn't feel like it was a change election earlier on in the campaign, but I think as... You know, as the Tories have run maybe a bit more of a divisive campaign, there is a little bit—not a wave of change, but a kind of a little bit, though maybe a small breeze of change uh, provincially. I don't think it's going to be like an NDP landslide, but I think that it'll probably be a fairly comfortable victory. Um, and I do think, you know, I think the, the funny thing is though, there still will be some of those ridings that are pivotal, like the decisive ridings where we still might see really close votes. They, I I think they will, enough of them will go NDP, but it'll still be maybe a little bit of a nail-biter, you know, at 9.30 or 10 tonight.
0: Okay, well, we'll be watching. Uh, Mary Agnes, always appreciate the time. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, as you heard in my conversation with Mary Agnes, tonight we'll come down to Winnipeg and the suburbs that surround it. And certainly the NDP have been targeting conservative ridings in the area, but they've also been targeting the riding of St. Boniface. Now, that is the riding currently held by the Manitoba Liberal leader, Dougal Lamont, someone we met today in front of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I want to begin with with the appeal that you're making to Manitobans, because you essentially make this argument that, be it a PC government or an NDP government, they need to be held at a minority. What's the advantage of that for Manitobans?
3: Uh, because what's always happened uh, is with these two parties is that they want to basically have unlimited power. Like it's Basically, they keep shooting for majority governments so they don't have to listen to anybody else, and that hasn't worked out for Manitobans, uh, or it only works out for about a, a fraction of Manitobans at the time. Um, and that's been part of the whole problem with the back and forth of PC and NDP in our province. Uh, so, and, and both of these parties, look, they don't, they've been very vague on their platforms. Uh, there's a whole bunch of problems that are huge issues. Both of them have, you know, people from the right and left have said both the PCs and the NDP, their platforms mean we're going to have cuts and I don't think that's a good idea. So we need to have somebody in there who's going to hold these parties to account and we're the only party that's shown that we can do both.
0: Well, as you say that, I do wonder about the strategy that you've seen from the NDP, because Wab Canoe, the NDP, they've gone into your writing. They've been reaching out to to voters who they think are either soft Liberals or soft supporters. What do you make of that strategy?
3: Well, again, it's because they're looking for a majority, and uh, they know that Liberals are the ones who can stop them from doing that. The other is that it's... I have a track record of asking some very pointed questions of both the NDP and the PCs and that has and that's one of the reasons why the NDP would rather not have me in the legislature and that's a good reason to elect me.
0: Does it worry you that they've gone into your riding?
3: Look it's always a fight. Uh, Look that's what it's like for Manitoba Liberals anyway. We actually have to fight for every seat we get. Uh, We don't we don't take it for for granted the way the other parties have. Uh, Look it's It's a concern, but uh, at the end of the day, we'll see how it goes. But ultimately, this is why it's really important to vote Manitoba Liberal, because uh, I don't think the NDP have done what they need to do to deserve a majority, uh, especially with the campaign they've run, where they have been, you know, even on a question as important as the landfill, which we committed to in our platform, They won't commit it to another platform. They won't explain how they pay for it. And it shouldn't be a political issue. But at the same time, they're sort of leading people on and saying, oh, yes, we'll do it. But when you look at the fine print, it's not there. And that's what their entire platform is like. When you look at the fine print uh, of the NDP platform, all these commitments to health care, there's nothing there for people in poverty, climate. It's actually shocking uh, how, I, I said, they've completely betrayed their base in order to try to win the suburbs. Um, and they're really running on on their laurels and disliking the PCs instead of actually doing things for the people who really need it. And that's what our platform has offered.
0: Well, it's interesting that you bring up the the Prairie Green landfill because we've certainly seen a doubling down of uh, the PCs on that in this last week, uh, doubling down on their position that they're not going to pay for a search of the landfill. Uh, What do you make of that strategy? What do you read of that kind of uh, punctuation point on, on, on this issue? It's really, look, this
3: should always only have ever been a police investigation and it should have been funded we don't have referendums on what what murder what murder cases we investigate and that's what the pcs are asking for um it, it should have just been a straightforward thing when they, and really you have a situation where the pcs are willing to burn their bridges with the first nations community for a very very long time in order to win a few seats it's really really terrible when you have Folks, and they're not that far, far from here, <laughs> we're at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, where victims of crime are being used as a, as a political football. And for the PCs to double down on that, I don't understand it. And I've said it was shameful before, it's, it's been shameful throughout.
0: You know, I think uh, there's been commentary that people are surprised that such a doubling down would be coming from Heather Stephenson. As one who's sat in the legislature, does that surprise you? You, you know what? I,
3: I, it applies to both these parties. The NDP are, are not actually putting it in writing. The PCs, at least, are being are being loud about it, right? But this is a province where First Nations have been treated worse than any other province in Canada. And it isn't just the PCs, it's the NDP. And one of the things we're being asked to do is forget all those things, all the terrible things. And I mean that. Um, that both governments, for example, violated the human rights of Indigenous children in care by not just taking them in record numbers from their families, but taking the money from them as well, while they were in their care. Both governments, both parties did that. We've talked about it. The other two parties have completely ignored it. It's the reason we have CFS. It's the reason we have uh, jails filled with people uh, who are Indigenous because they've been stranded. Um, It's one of the root causes of the links between uh, MMIWG and the other parties are completely silent about it because they've been complicit in it, and it hasn't come up as a part of this. And it hasn't come up as part of this election because no one wants to talk about it except us. And I think that's one of the things that's it's, that's an example of one of many issues where we're the only party that's been willing to speak up on whether it's for workers, people in poverty, small businesses, um, and everyone's just being steamrolled by these other two parties because they don't want to talk about it.
0: How consequential is this election uh, for your party, but for the province as well?
3: Um oh I think it's 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 consequential for both. I have I don't know what the because this is an incredibly important election and I fr- think frankly the other two parties have just failed to rise to the occasion. We have crises in healthcare, climate, um poverty. <laughs> crime uh cost of living and the other parties really haven't offered anything they've sort of treated it as a status quo election and really it's just been about who do you dislike more which one of these two party leaders do you dislike more and it's i always say it's hard to be heard above the screaming the other two parties are doing um it is really important we'll, we'll, i mean we'll see at the end of the day what happens but um yeah i don't know we'll see you, you never know
0: so we'll see do the bond thank you very much for the time thank you Well, you heard Mr. Lamont reference the landfill search, and that certainly has been a big issue in this campaign. The PC is, in fact, doubling down and defending their position to not search the Prairie Green site. It's something I spoke about with provincial reporter for Canadian Press, Stephen Lambert, today. Steve, thanks for making the time today. Oh, no problem. Interesting, you know, as we look at what issues have dominated this campaign Healthcare has been identified as the number one issue but without a doubt the prairie green landfill seems to have been a, a defining issue uh... of this campaign in fact we saw the the progressive conservatives in the last week or so really double down on their position to not pay for a search
4: What's behind that strategy? I, I imagine it's the progressive conservatives appealing to their base, trying to find a wedge issue and maybe even trying to find, um, a, a, lay a trap for the NDP to come in and take a hard position on, perhaps an extreme position on. Uh, it, it hasn't really worked. I think Wab Canoe handled the issue very well. And the issue, as you mentioned, it, it wasn't a live issue until a televised debate when Heather Stephenson, out of the blue, in her first opportunity to ask a question of another leader, raised this issue, went on the offensive with it against Wab Canoe.
0: Is it an issue that galvanizes Conservatives and gets them out to vote, though?
4: Well, uh, we'll see, but we've, we've seen backlash online from uh, a wide range of people, in, including Conservatives. So One of the people, uh, David Midlachlan, who uh, successfully ran the last two Manitoba Progressive Conservative campaigns in 2016 and 2019, securing big victories, he said this was uh, an awful mistake.
0: An awful mistake. Uh, You know, it's interesting, though, too, because as she made that comment since the debate, uh, Heather Stevenson hasn't spent a lot of time in Winnipeg, and yet this is really where all the seats are. Uh, What does that say to you?
4: Well, it's interesting she was out in uh, Brandon. Brandon East could swing. It's been NDP most of the time. It's been Tory the last couple of uh, uh, 2016, 2019. So she's out protecting some of the rural seats, but that's not a very efficient use of her time because she can travel between three or four seats. We have 32 seats in Winnipeg, 32 of the 57. She can hit a lot of seats in one day if she stays in Winnipeg. I've never seen this before where a party leader Uh, basically uh, does not hold a media event in the city for nine days.
0: What does that say to you though? Is it a concern that really it's going to be a rural base that holds her party together? Is it an acknowledgement that that Winnipeg is a lost uh, area for her? What do you think?
4: Well I I think it points to especially given the polling we've seen that there is a danger for the Tories that they will revert to where they were in 2007-2011 where they held almost all the seats in rural southern Manitoba The NDP held the north, and then the NDP won most of Winnipeg, and the the Tories were reduced to four of the then 31 seats in Winnipeg.
0: Uh, That said, even if you look at the polling numbers, because at this point they do indicate that it's very much in the NDP's favour, Wapkanu seems to be very cautious uh, about declaring victory before it's actually achieved.
4: Yeah, I mean, polls have been wrong. I'm a big believer in polls, as long as you factor in the margin of error and some other limitations. But polls have been wrong before, and the NDP wants everybody to work like they're one vote behind. All parties do. They they say that the only poll that matters is on election day. So despite what opinion polls say, it all depends on who gets out to vote, which party has the machinery to get its, all its supporters to the polls.
0: And you were saying that Bob Canoe has taken a lesson from Gary Dewar on that front. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, I mean, Gary Dewar back in 2003, 20 years ago, uh, all the opinion polls said Gary Dewar had this election sewn up. And um, he, he sort of chastised the media in a friendly way, saying like, don't, we, we don't want that message out there. We want our voters to be motivated to get to the polls. We want to ensure everybody casts a ballot. And, and so we're going to act like we're one vote behind.
0: Well, And to that, for the NDP to form government, they not only need to to hold downtown Winnipeg, which they have a fairly strong support base in, but they also need to expand to the suburbs, the outer suburbs of the city. How worried are they, how confident are they about meeting that challenge?
4: I think they're fairly confident, talking to some of the ones behind the scenes, and, and when these suburban, were in a suburban riding right now, when these suburban seats swing, they swing hard, they swing en masse. And we saw that when the Tories came to power and won 40 seats. All these suburban seats in South Winnipeg and West Winnipeg, and most in the North and the East, swung to the Tories. Uh, the NDP is fairly confident, they've been concentrating a lot of their efforts here. Wab Canoe has spent a lot of time outside hospitals in suburban seats promising to um, reinvest in, in healthcare that had been cut back.
0: So any ridings you're watching out for in particular for tonight?
4: Uh, well, we're in same River here. That was NDP until 2016. It, it uh, has been Tory since. The NDP uh, have this on one of the targeted ones. I think St. Boniface is going to be very, very interesting because The Liberal leader, Dougal Lamont, won that in a by-election at a time when the local NDP were very divided. Uh, Former Premier Greg Selinger, the New Democrat, had represented that area. He was forced out by Wab Canoe. The local NDP was very divided. They appear united now. The NDP is pulling up, so I think Dougal Lamont is in a struggle there. And then, as I said, a lot of these suburban seats, they're the ones that swing. There are about 12 to 13 seats in any given Manitoba election that actually change. And a lot of them are these suburban seats in Winnipeg. So when you look at Seine River, Southdale, Waverly, um, places like that, that, those are the ones to watch. And you might see those swing if the polls are right tonight.
0: Okay. Well, we're watching, Steve. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, you're welcome. Always oh, good to speak to Steve. Well, here at the Fort Garry Hotel, this is where New Democrats will be watching the results come in tonight. And I did speak earlier today with one of the campaign's press secretaries to get a gauge of how the NDP war room is feeling right now. Hey, Rory, thank you for the time this evening. My pleasure. Listen, uh, I'm wondering what the feeling is like in the back room right now. Is it fair to say people are feeling confident?
5: I think people are feeling confident, but here in Manitoba, we always run like we're one vote behind. And why is that? Well, it's never over till it's over. Uh, election night is so exciting for so many reasons, but ultimately it's up to the voters and we'll wait to celebrate before, or celebrate or mourn before any votes are, uh, are cast.
0: Well, I, and to that, I'm wondering about the ground game, because it has been said that this vote in particular, the ground game is going to matter, in particular because you guys are fighting essentially for the suburbs that surround downtown Winnipeg. How do you feel about the ground game?
5: I think we feel very good. Advanced voting numbers were at a record high here in Manitoba, and that's a huge part of our strategy. We also nominated candidates early so that they could get out there and pound the pavement, knock doors, go to community gatherings for months. And so yeah, you know, we feel very good about, about how things are looking, and the ground game is strong.
0: In terms of the advanced polling, the numbers are fairly high. What have you seen so far today?
5: You know, we've seen what we expect. There was a little bit of rain earlier, but that affects all parties equally. So hopefully, if things keep up, we'll, uh, we'll have some good news. I talked
0: about the Winnipeg suburbs, and, of course, a lot of those are Tory-held right now. How do you feel about breaking in there? Is that going to be a challenge? Are those tight races? What are you looking at here?
5: Every race is tight, you know, for sure. Um, Polling numbers only matter so much during the election, but the only poll that matters uh, closes at 8 p.m. tonight. So we expect them to be tight. We expect them to be competitive throughout the city.
0: I guess that's a bit of history repeating or concerned about what happened to Gary Doerr so many years back. Is that fair to say?
5: You know, I think this election is really about tonight. Um, we could look to the past, but I think voters in Manitoba have made it clear to us that they want change. And we ran a campaign to unite Manitobans to tackle the big issues together. Uh, and we certainly hope that, uh, hope that that can turn into uh, an NDP government.
0: Although, uh, you know, your campaign has been criticized for, for not offering enough specifics, even with the uh, Prairie Green landfill, that only really became an issue post-debate because Heather Stephenson raised it, not because Wapkanu raised it. How do you take that criticism?
5: Well, I think our leader's been clear. You know, we have to try. Um, and I think the attacks from the PCs on this issue have been an attempt to divide Manitobans. Um, but our campaign is focused on uniting people around a vision for building a better future in Manitoba together.
0: When will you know, when will the party know that it it has had a good night tonight?
5: I mean, our hope is that we can elect an NDP government to create better health care here in Manitoba. And that's, that's the result we're aiming for. And that's when we'll know it's been a good night.
0: Are you looking at specific ridings, though? Will you know, for example, if you take this
5: riding, that riding, that you know you're going to have a good night in the suburbs and therefore deliver you to government? I mean, we certainly have our own, our own calculations, to be sure. Uh, we're looking at those South Winnipeg ridings, as is everybody. Um, so so our, our path to victory runs through uh, many of those places, and, and we'll watch them closely. Very good luck tonight. Pleasure. Thank you so much. You'll
0: notice that we've not spoken to anyone tonight from the Manitoba PC party. We did reach out to them, hoping to secure an interview while we're here. Uh, No one was available before tonight's program, but we will be here watching the results through this evening. And we'll be here back again from Manitoba in Winnipeg to bring you more stories tomorrow, Andrew. But for now, it's back to you in Ottawa.
1: All right, Michael, thank you for that. That is Michael Serapio in Winnipeg. Here in Ottawa, the House of Commons has a new speaker. Greg Fergus besting six other MPs in today's election, held in the wake of Anthony Rhoda's resignation. It's just the third time a new speaker has taken over during a parliamentary sitting. Fergus also becomes the first black Canadian to serve as speaker. The Quebec Liberal telling the House he wants more mutual respect and more attention to the rules.
0: We need to make sure that we treat each other with respect that we show Canadians the example. Because there can be no dialogue unless there's
1: a mutual understanding of respect. Well, let's bring in Jeff Regan, who knows all about winning a Speaker's election. He is the former longtime MP for Halifax West, and he served as Speaker of the House from 2015 to 2019. Jeff Regan, good to see you once again here on
6: CPAC. Thank you, Andrew. Good to be with you.
1: So let's talk about the vote today. We aren't showing the actual numbers, of course, of how MPs voted. The ballots are destroyed. But we do have the ultimate result, which is Greg Fergus winning. I want to start with getting your reaction to the fact that he's the MP who's emerged victorious here.
6: Well, first of all, I want to congratulate Greg. Uh, I think he'll do a terrific job. Uh, there were seven excellent candidates. They're all friends of mine. I wish them all well. Uh, I'm very pleased with this result. I think that Greg uh, has the attributes necessary to be a superb speaker. He uh, is very calm under pressure uh he's i think people recognize him as someone who will be fair he's never been unduly partisan um and as someone who's familiar with the procedures of the house and its practices as well as the atmosphere of the place but also someone who has the strength uh, to do what he needs to do uh in the chair while at the same time respecting the members of all the rights of all members pardon me to free expression and that's a, a fine balance to achieve
1: Okay, and we will talk about the challenges he faces in that role, but I want to just ask you about the voting process itself, since you have that experience of having run uh, and won. Uh, Talk to me a bit about the politics of getting elected Speaker, because we know that there was an effort to get an opposition member in the chair, Deputy uh, Speaker Chris Dontremont speaking uh, about that. Uh, Give me your sense of the process, uh, as you see it, that led to Mr. Fergus ultimately emerging victorious here.
6: Well, as you know, there were uh, five Liberal MPs who were candidates for speaker, one Conservative, one NDP, and of course, Green Party leader, Elizabeth May, my my law school classmate uh, and old friend. And um, so the the, the candidates uh, for speaker would, in all likelihood, have been on the phone over the past number of days, reaching out to their colleagues in all parties, Uh, Trying to enlist their support and persuade them that they're the person they should uh, choose for speaker, hearing what they had to say about their priorities, because it's an opportunity that members have when when these candidates call to say, look, this is something that's important to me. I can recall members talking about the question of whether they could breastfeed in the House for example, or, or have a young infant in the house, and, and um, so, you know, or other things that are of concern to them, and of course we've seen members, uh, whether it's breastfeeding or having an infant uh, uh, in the house, uh, or other services, that, that, because of the way that society and the House of Commons has changed over the years, so that process has taken place, there are big conversations among MPs within parties and sometimes across different parties to say look what do you think and what are you doing and who do you think are are the best candidate or who's the best candidate here. Uh, I haven't been part of it this time of course so it's hard for me to know what those discussions were exactly Uh, but now we have a new speaker.
1: Okay, and that new speaker says he's going to act quickly to bring honour back to the House in the wake of Anthony Rhoda's resignation and what MPs have been calling the global embarrassment of honouring the SS unit uh, veteran with the president of Ukraine on the floor of the chamber. You mentioned Elizabeth May, who was in the running. She said in her speech that this could have been avoided if the rules were followed for recognising someone in the House. So I want to ask you as a former speaker, is it a question of applying the rules as they are or does the new speaker need to be changed? the vetting process
6: I think I should leave that to the to the speaker and to the members to have that th- those conversations to have a discussion you know, whether it's one-on-one or otherwise the, the house could uh, have it you know have an actual debate on this question and bring forward ideas or members could bring them uh, directly to the speaker uh, about you know ideas about how to fix this uh, generally speaking it has been at the Speaker's discretion, uh, you would recognize, for, for example, provincial ministers or premiers, uh, former members of the House sometimes would be recognized, at times be people who have won awards, national awards, for example. Um, you know, there are a, a variety of things. And in fact, I remember one time when my wife was in town and she was a provincial minister, I was the speaker, I had previously once recognized her. And so after question period, Dominic the got up, and that would be permissible for him to recognize her, right? Of course, by doing so, you know, he just introduced her. And in fact, it wasn't because generally you only do that with a provincial minister once per term of the government. So I had to say to no, but I thanked him for his kindness anyway.
1: Okay, I want to ask you this with the minute we have left. Uh, decorum and respect, those are words Mr. Fergus used today. When you won the Speaker's race nearly eight years ago, you used similar words. It seems we hear that talk every time there's a speaker's election but it also seems that the song remains the same when it comes to complaints about tone and tenor especially in this fall sitting so far why is it so hard to change the atmosphere and the behavior inside the chamber
6: well uh in our democracy you're going to have a competition and with the history of our democracy in our House of Commons there you know you have the opposition parties there who uh, want to uh, hold the government to account um, each of them wants to organize their attack in their own way uh, some of them feel very strongly sometimes members when they're speaking will try to you know right uh, to raise the ire of members on their side to react to something sometimes they're they're speaking for the cameras or for a clip they can use uh, on social media and so i think it's more challenging than ever uh to uh, tamp this down um and it I think it requires cooperation from members and from acro- across party lines, but uh, it's certainly worth a discussion. And, and, um, and I think the new speaker is uh, very well placed and has the kind of skills uh, that if anyone can do this, he can.
1: All right, we'll have to leave it there. Jeff Regan, thanks for your time on this. Thank you. And that is primetime politics on CPAC. I'm Andrew Thompson. Thanks for
0: watching.